Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. And we're into extra time. Hello and welcome to Extra Time. I'm Barry Guy and I'm joined today by RNZ columnist Hamish Bidwell, Wellington rugby player Alice Soper and author William Maloney. Well, 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 three holes in the ground, serial code switcher Sonny Bill Williams is added again and off to the Canadian Super League side, the Toronto Wolfpack. After plenty of speculation, Williams has confirmed he's returning to league on a two-year deal reportedly worth $10 million. Hey guys, Sonny here. Uh, Just a quick message to the Toronto fans and team. I'm looking forward to getting over there. Just want to say that I'm not coming over for a holiday. I'm coming over to do some work and God willing we can uh, have a successful season on and off the field. So a lucrative deal for Sonny Bill Williams, no doubt. But why would you want to sign a battered 34-year-old Williams who has struggled with injuries over the past couple of years? Well, here's the official version from Toronto Wolfpack Vice President John Pallett. The thing that really excites us here on the Toronto side of a business and, and indeed in the UK as well where we do lots of commercial deals and partnerships and sponsorships is just the global brand that Sonny Bill Williams brings to the press release that has gone out today. It, it talks about David Beckham and the deal to LA Galaxy in 2007. It talks about LeBron James and the impact he has when he moves from team to team. But obviously players, there's, there's very few players like this on, on, on the planet across all sport. Uh, and the reason they're so desirable as, as signings is not only for what they can do on the field, but off the field in terms of inspiring people to get into the game, bringing in a new fan base, bringing in commercial revenue in terms of tickets, but also attracting big sponsors and big partners that, are, that plough money in, in, into the team as well. So there are, there are twofold. There's one of which is undoubtedly he can still do it on the field, uh, but there's a whole separate benefit to bringing in a player like this. That's the vice president of the Toronto Wolfpack, John Pellet. Well, Hamish, I suppose the uh, LA Galaxy and the MLS did it with David Beckham, get a big name in, promote the game. You know, this is obviously the same situation with Sonny Bill. Yeah, I guess so. Far out. LeBron James and David Beckham, spit grandiose. I don't think he's quite in that league. You know what I mean? I think Sonny's like a, he's worth a lot of off the park stuff. You know what I mean? He's a great role model, a model professional. He will inspire and, and lead his team, but he won't play much footy. He'll speak well. He'll be a sort of a, a marketable commodity off the park, but not to that level. I mean, he'll sell. You've got to remember, it's a Canadian team, but they're playing an English competition, so he has a name in England, and he'll they'll be able to leverage off that in terms of um, the uh, English market and sponsors and that sort of stuff. But, no, I mean, I'm a bit embarrassed for them that they've said all that sort of cobblers. Um, good player. My favourite rugby league player of all time. A mediocre rugby player. You know, maybe even underwhelming. Definitely underwhelming, in fact. Um yeah, but he won't play much footy. History shows he's a five or six game a year man, and he'd be great off the park though. He'll inspire, as I say, people, teammates. Um, he's a good citizen, but uh, has been, to be honest. Uh, I wanted to bring the panel in here, Alice. I'll start with you, Sonny, as a rugby player. How would you, how would you rate him? I've said underwhelming. What do you think? 
I think you're too harsh. I think his offload game that he bought he bought into, you know, it's something now that's expected of of centres, and, and that was definitely his influence that he's had in the middle there. I mean, that was not something we ever really expected Ma to do, and that's something that Sonny Bill was bought in for, and he delivered time and time again. I think he had a little bit of trouble uh, to the end there with a few injuries, but he had a pretty good period, you know, after he was in the 2011 team, wasn't he? And and, and there was no drama there. He was the steady shit when we had Kahui, who would, couldn't keep himself on the pitch with his injuries. So I think, you know, there's life in the old dog yet. You know, he's only 34, and we've shown that league boys can play uh, can play for quite a long time. Brad Thorne did the same. Um, so I think he, he should get up, and it's going to be a different quality of competition for him there. I think he'll have quite a bit of fun, to be honest with you. William, I would describe Sonny, despite a decade in rugby, as a rugby league player still learning the rugby ropes. What about you? Uh, no, I'm with Alice. I think he's been a fantastic player. He, he can't kick. He knows, he can, uh, you know what, I mean? he knows he, yeah. what he's good at, and he does what he's good at on the field. Uh, I don't think he his influence on the younger players can be overestimated, mm. and I think him as a global citizen has grown the game. And I think in terms of buying... For the Wolfpack, he, and it, it may be very cynical of me, but I think his faith will go a long way to uh, opening up new markets, both in the northwest of England, where there are, where there is a large Muslim community, and in Toronto, which is a multi-faith, multi-ethnic, pretty modern city. So I think it's a, it's a great thing for them to do. Yeah. I've, yeah, I'm not to be. I'm yet to be convinced. I understand the, the rationale of it. I don't think he was a great rugby player. I mean, if you think about the guys who are retiring from his his class, you know, the the Reeds, Smith, Crotty. He's not. He's not the rugby player that they are. Was his reputation greater than perhaps his performance on the field? That you know he was a man to watch out for. But uh, was that it? In rugby, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. As I say, he played five or six games a year. He was one of the greats when he was fit. One of the great rugby league players. His, his physique, his good looks, his offloading game, his shoulder charge. You can you imagine so many highlights from his rugby league career, but they were scant in rugby. He had a good period at the Chiefs, but that's seven or eight years ago. Um, I really don't think he fired a shot in rugby, to be and, honest. And you, you couldn't see him going back to the NRL. That's probably a bit tough now, isn't it? Yeah, I'd say so. And why would you if you can get $10 million bucks, Good work <laughs> if you can get it. Next birthday's 35. Fair income. Um, Sonny's departure from New Zealand reminds me of Steve Hansen and his... Well, he's now walking out the door. Um, Alice, how will Steve Hansen be remembered as, a, as an All Blacks coach? Steady the ship, I guess. You know, he kind of it was it was continuity, wasn't it? That was his his coaching class, I feel, and that he took what Henry had built and 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 took it forward from there. I don't know if I necessarily can tell you what the distinct kind of play of Hanson is, but what I think he did was a lot of the off the field stuff too, in terms of building that culture there. I've heard a lot from um, from people about particularly what he did within the Pacifica and Maori leadership groups and bringing players together there um, to really look to foster the new talent that was coming in. He he picked more Māori and Pacifica into that AB side than any other coach before him. So that's, you know, definitely it's kind of changed the face um, of, of uh, the All Blacks, a less white one perhaps. Um, so maybe that's what his legacy is. None is captain though, I don't think. William, is that right? Yeah, none is captain. So the previous regime, we had guys like Mulaina, um, mm. Soyalo. Gonna... Tana. Yeah. Um, Jerry Collins. Yeah. Mialamu, did I say him? Um, yeah. So yeah. there was quite distinct that Hanson didn't go down that route, didn't he? 
well, I mean, he had he had Richie in there for the for the bulk of it, and then we had again kind of a continuity pick in um, Reed. I think that's the interesting thing with these players departing now is who's going to be taking on as the next All Black captain. Because to be honest with you, I can't necessarily pick it. Are they are they going to give it to Whitelock? He's he's would feel again like a bit of a placeholder. But there isn't really that talismanic leader that we've had for a while. And I'm knocking at the new class, and I'm not exactly sure who it will be, but that will put their hand up there. Uh, no, I think it's going to be really interesting. Uh, I presume your next question, Hamish, is who's going to be the next coach. And I think yeah. depending on how, which way that goes, it'll be interesting to see whether that coach decides they need a whole new leadership group in terms of the players as well. So I think, to your point, Alice, I think Sam Whitelock probably will fall away in that uh, in, mm. in terms of captaincy. And I think also... It's four years is now starting to look like a long time for him for the next World Cup. And if we continue to look only in the four-year cycle, then you're probably looking for a captain who's a lot younger than that. Sure, but they have re-signed Whitelock for four years, including a sabbatical. And the other logical candidate is Kane, whose durability is in question. So, I mean, they are starting to run out of options, aren't they, a little bit? I, I the, think, the new uh, so, coach hasn't signed Sam Whitelock for four years. The no, old coach did hard, signed though, So that's years. Yeah, but there's a succession plan that they've set, clearly put in motion by, by extending him for that long. Again, oh. the old coach and his preferred uh, next Ian Foster probably had that, and that's probably part of his pitch. But so what Scott Robertson came in, would he bin Sam Whitelock, his Crusaders captain? Really good question. <laughs> well, <laughs> the, the mere fact that Sam Whitelock's going to go off and do something else for a while... He would probably be the first pick in early 2020, but he wouldn't be long-term because he's going to bugger off and do something else for a, for a little while there, and you've got to find someone a bit more permanent, don't you? Well, stopgap. Yeah. Yeah, I can see if we end up with someone that's not from the Crusader sort of mould, if we get Jamie Joseph and Tony Brown, that they will find a different captain, uh, someone mm-hmm. that could probably will look towards the four-year cycle. Um, I agree that, you know, Sam Whitelock coming in and going out would be a little bit disruptive to the leadership groups. And again, I don't know that he, you know, four years is a long time. And uh, I know that Japan's supposed to extend people's careers, but they do a lot of running up there. Oh, it'd be his fourth World Cup campaign if he would go through to it. I mean, I just think he's already starting to show signs of wear and tear and it's been a great career and we salute him for it and all that kind of malarkey. But we're not obliged to pick him for the next four years, surely. I'm with you. Same thing. I think it would, like you say, early 2020 is the obvious choice. Please don't give it to Sam Kane. He's not. He's he's bland as white toast. I just don't. He does nothing for me. I want I want something more exciting to get in behind. Um, I have heard, you know. Scotty Barrett is one that I've heard floating around. He's a young boy now, but he's one that I've heard floating around in terms of leadership potential. But is that just because we like a tall white man? Maybe. Um, so it would be interesting to see if we go something completely different. But who that is in our current playing group, I just don't know. Aaron Smith, or did he do his dash in the airport in Christchurch? <laughs> TJ Perry. <laughs> he's, no, he's being rebuilt as the greatest father and family man going. He's blowing kisses willy-nilly yeah. and being, you know, there's all the Instagram stuff. I mean, he's he's trying to rehabilitate his reputation in that regard. And look, I haven't fallen for it myself, but, um, you know, good luck to him. And TJ is uh, quite a leader off the field in his other you know, parts yes, of... Yes, uh, but he would have to be an off-field but, leader because yeah, he doesn't and he'd have to enough. start too, yeah, wouldn't he, very much? So, yeah, yeah. so we've scooted exactly. around the ruck here, guys. Where are we with coach? Alice, I'll start with you. Do you actually have a candidate? I mean, do you find them much of a muchness? I'll be honest and say, A, I'm bored to tears with discussion. I just want it to go away and them to pick someone. And B, <laughs> I think the playing stocks are such that 
borderline any of us could do it and win at 80%. I just don't think it actually matters material. <laughs> I don't think anyone is so much better than the others that will get a hugely different um, winning ratio. What do you think? Well, I think selections is where it comes in. Like, I think that's probably what led us down against England was there were a couple of choices that were made there in terms of who was on the bench and who came in where that led us down. Not having Ben Smith, not having that experience to bring into a game. Um, you know, you could argue that that had an impact on that, although at the same time, they just never turned up to that match. Um, I would love to see a complete change up here. I'm not one for kind of let's do the same thing forever and ever and ever. I don't really – look. I, I'm going to have to say, being a Wellingtonian, I have a hard time getting behind uh, the idea of Robson because, you know, he's just a Canterbury boy. I'm sick of Canterbury. Let's have somebody else in the mix. And so, of course, I'll show my colours and say, Jamie Joseph, he did good things for us here in Wellington. He's done amazing things in Japan. The loyalty he's obviously fostered within his coaching group, you know, Tony Brown coming out this week and saying, no, thank you uh, to basically the assistant coach job if he'd teed up with one of the others. Uh, you know, that's something that I'd want to get behind. I would love to see him in the top jersey uh, there are obviously far too many wellingtonians on this um uh, same <laughs> the uh, but it, if we take it take a slight step back and say that over that four-year cycle we struggle the all Blacks struggled to deal with the rush defense and uh across a number of series we there was a couple of things that kept popping up that we never really dealt with and uh you, the question you I would like to ask in that sense, a broader sense, is is that part of uh, something that happens in our coaching and in our broader game? So do we need to find a coach that uh, has a has a different solution to that rather than someone that's been so embedded in the current sort of New Zealand rugby scene or New Zealand rugby ethos that we obviously, <laughs> as a rugby nation, don't deal with and, and don't play that way? So when we come up yeah. against it in international games, we find it very confusing and at times detrimental to our winning percentage. Yeah, I mean, let's assume that Schmidt's out. It's a real shame. He said he's out, but we'll just we'll, we'll assume that he is. But I've always been massively intrigued by he and Gatland in the sense that they have spent years with limited resources trying to combat the All Blacks and, and have done it effectively at, at various times. I just, rather than someone who's used to working with our cattle and doing a good job, I'd like to see someone who, as you say, William, has come up with different solutions and, and tried different tactics and actually maybe has had an opportunity to fail. We had Christian Cullen on here last week who said an interesting thing about Scott Robertson in the sense that it's all been gravy. It's been a succession mm. of NPC titles followed by Super Rugby titles, and that's fantastic, and he is... You know, a genuine one-off, a unique person and all that kind of malarkey, but he's also someone who's only won. He's never mm, mm. had his campaigns go down the gurgler. So, you know, guys with, with, with failure in their record, are they, are they attractive? Well, you look at uh, Rennie oh. and Joseph, and they've both got that. You know, they both have been involved in rebuild periods. They've come in and, and taken the team and turned around, addressed culture off-field as well, and done the whole whole package. I mean, I just, yeah, Robertson, he, he's, he's like I say, he's, he's like you said, he's he's just, he's come in, he's won, won, won. It was Lahore as well. I read a piece that he wrote, um, uh, was commenting the same thing. We need resilience within that coaching setup because, you know, as much as we hate to talk about a rebuild, it is kind of a bit of that at the moment. There is a changing of a guard. We we kind of stretched it out as long as we could between 2015 and, and this World Cup. But this World Cup, there were a lot of players that are qu still quite young, not quite the whole finished product, and that kind of showed in the in the playoff there. Um, so we're going to still be having a bit of change up that's going to be coming through that team. So we need to have uh, people in there to get the best out of those players. And I just I want that to be something different um, and a new perspective there. Is there more of a Wellington rugby statement than um, Hamish made regarding the benefits of failure? 
um, as to <laughs> how much wonderful thing. Shouldn't we look for some people that haven't won as much? And I, and I, yeah. So, but I would agree. And I think the the thing that gets lost in this era of super coach that we have at the moment, where and I think the World Cup was entirely you could have actually had not had players because that all the media and all the focus was on all these super coaches, is the talent and the expertise is actually in the assistant coach and the defensive coach and the forwards mm. coach and. Not only is uh, Steve Hansen leaving, but Mike Cron is leaving. There's a, a, mm. a, I presume Gilbert Anoka is leaving. This is a whole opportunity to bring in a different culture, a different set of ideas. And Mike Cron is, is probably one of the, the, the great coaches that it's ever worked in, in New Zealand rugby along with Wayne mm -hmm. Smith. And so, you know, this is a it, – it's a very difficult time. Yes, the head coach is leaving, but all there's – you know, they, they travel around with about 15 people now. So – I presume a lot of them will be leaving and we'll lose a lot of IP from that. So I think we almost have to view a coaching uh, appointment as an appointment of uh, a unit, a team, and try and view it on um, on mass. And one of the interesting things, as Alice said, was Tony Bland Brown declaring which is his team. So, yeah, it's uh, it's interesting. I wonder what the parameters that the New Zealand rugby is going to set out. Will it be a two-year contract? Uh, most you know, organisations now, it's a cycle for the World Cup, so this is a four-year thing. They always said that uh, going overseas and getting overseas experience would be an advantage, it appears, and the likes of uh, Gatlin and Rennie and Joseph uh, have, have done that. Uh, Scott Robertson, of course, is only coached here. So if it is something like a, a, a two-year deal, I mean, Gatlin then comes into it after the Lions tour in 2021. He'd, he'd be a contender. Uh, I, I don't know. Is two years is seen as uh, no confidence? I, you know, I'm not too sure. I, I just wonder what the NZRU's uh, uh, thinking will be. Yeah, I think you've got to give four. I think it gives everyone certainty. It lets the players know as much as anything that this isn't a an experiment. This isn't a potential lame duck coach. This is someone we have absolute confidence in, um, and they can get behind them as a as a consequence. And one of the things I'm interested in is Alice. Something that Sonny Bill Williams said the other day about the ethnic makeup of the coaching panel. Now, I'm not mm. for s saying that we should have a Pacifica head coach, or that there's we need to introduce quotas, or people have to be picked not on merit but on ethnicity or anything like that. But I do think that. Um, and you mentioned white bread before. It's quite a white bread outfit, isn't it, NZR? And the playing personnel are necessarily not white bread. Um, mm. To what extent do coaching staffs, or should we be trying to ensure coaching staffs reflect the playing group to some degree? Well, if we pick up on what William's talking about before, about the kind of the unit that we're talking about, and if you think about them as the head coach as being the, I guess, the face of it, and a lot of what they are doing is fronting up to media and, and, and being the kind of spokesperson for the team and the and the unit as its entirety, well then, actually, yes, having the right representation and that person and that voice is really important. And I think, you know, we think about how much uh, – kind of talent is lost all the time. I talk about this all the time within um, the women's game about how when a lot of the women retire at the moment, we're not managing to convert them into coaches. I think the same is true of our Māori and Pacifica players. We are not seeing it happen at the greater rate. We're not seeing them, them get the same opportunities. You know, players like uh, that, you know, play a turned coach like Tana Umanga, you know, what's happened with his career? He went and tried his best with the Blues and then now they've kind of written him off because he's taken that poison chalice just like Pat Lamb before him. And I think, you know, we're, 
we we tend to take uh, we, we're not giving the same kind of pathways and opportunities so actually having someone at the top there to say you know see it be it type of thing and, and hold that knowledge in and, and have a different perspective and work with the playing group that we have you know there's going to be we're going to have different opportunities there I think that would make a big statement for us in terms of kind of growing up a bit around what uh, New Zealand rugby looks like um, and and recognizing actually this is this is the future of our game. Yeah, I agree completely. I think we should be investing uh, very much so. And as someone who's progressing very slowly through sort of NZR coaching <laughs> uh, programs and, and, and has an unrivaled record of defeats in the last two years across <laughs> the Tasman region, but you, you can see that um, it isn't a, it's a much easier pathway if you are someone that looks like me in the sense that it's just kind of a net, you naturally get asked or naturally fall into it. So I think we have to be right across the levels of New Zealand rugby more attuned to trying to find people who uh, represent and can articulate to the, the wider playing community. Because if you go down and watch club rugby or provincial rugby or super rugby, it doesn't look like it did in the 1950s and 60s. There are people, there are, uh, you know, as Alice said, it's not white bread anymore. It's a, it's a very multi grain, you know, uh, loaf that we're running with now. And uh, we have to try and find, just grow our community. I mean, rugby's great. We should just accept that we don't have all the answers in a particular one uh, part of our community. Well, what does it say? Or what, what can rugby learn from things like the, the Tonga Rugby League team where guys leave Tier 1 teams to go and play for a Tier 2 team? Not because they think that they're going to play better, but because it's going to be an environment that's more representative of who they are and what they believe in and where, where they come from. Can, can rugby, or does rugby, uh, uh, to, to minimise the risk of perhaps losing guys, need to be create a more inclusive work environment for, for Pacifica players within the All Blacks, for instance? I think I think having you know someone that you connect with at the top, like how exciting that is. I know for me, um, when I was looking at coming back um, to New Zealand, my club over, uh, over in England started whispering about a certain pretty prolific um, you know former uh, black fern coming in, involved and getting involved as the coach there. And to be honest with you, if they'd managed to lock that up, I would have stayed there another season because the the chance to work with someone like that who you know, you could learn so much off, like not just as a coach, but just as that mentor and as someone that's been through the process and this is where they've ended up. Like that would have been absolutely huge for me to get to work underneath that. And I've had so many coaches. I've had good ones and less good ones. Um, and, and the couple of times that I've had a woman coach, just what a difference that makes for me. Yeah, I was like going to my... ask, do you find it like patronising or insulting or anything to be lumbered? Not lumbered, to be have a male coach <laughs> coaching female teams? Is that well I, I mean at, at best what we get is is coaches that are starting out in their career so you know the they're doing woman as a warm-up a lot of the time is kind of how it's placed placed there there you know a lot of the time that it's not necessarily that we get people that are passionate about the women's game initially and I, I often hear from coaches they're like oh you know after working with us women for a while they're like oh it's great working with women they really listen and you know this and that which is yeah slightly patronizing um, but but then at the same time you know that's not to say that we can't have um, good things but I do notice again and again communication issues um, when I'm, I'm working with me, uh, male coaches often the just the terms of reference that they use not quite understanding uh, necessarily like the way that women are going to take certain kind of phrases and things like that classic one is um 
uh, if I can be so vulgar as to say balls over ball, uh, which is what they would say to you at ruck time. We we don't have any balls, mate. So I had to <laughs> had to change that terminology up, you know. So there's lots of things like that. Um, that it's just it's just a lack of kind of awareness of how things land. And I was very lucky. My first ever coach uh, was a, a, a fantastic player herself, Marta Matora. And you know, I took just that that moment in her bringing me into the game just changed everything for me in terms of what I knew was possible as a female player. And so I, I think having something like that for you know our Pacifica players, for our Māori players, that would be a massive thing to, to see someone who's made their way the whole way through the um, system and out the other side and, and pulling other people up with them. Yeah, I'm with Alice entirely on that. And, and I, at the age groups I'm coaching, uh, I've got young women in the teams and they go a year after what I've been coaching and they go into an all-women uh, grade at secondary school. And the change in them as both players and as people, the enjoyment they have from being in a, 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 a woman-led and woman-only environment is so exciting. And you see them mm-hmm. afterwards and they grow as players. And it's just, it's hard to understand the difference it makes for people to ha- to, to just change environments very slightly. Um, but I think it's it's a, it's an exciting time. I think NZR um, hopefully will, will grasp the opportunity of these changes, we've had changes at uh, chief executive, you know, the, the changes at coach. Um, so it's a, a real opportunity to reboot the organisation for for a, a chance to to move forward, and it's it's really cool. Well, uh, the NZR is going to be busy over the next month. I think they've uh, identified 26 coaches that they're going to get in touch with and, and talk to. So uh, we'll find out who the new All Blacks coach will be just before Christmas, hopefully. We've run out of time. That is extra time for this week. And you can follow us on Twitter at RNZ Sport. Many thanks to Alice Soper and William Maloney. And on behalf of Hamish Bidwell, I'm Barry Guy. Bye for now. Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads.